Well, the epistle lesson appointed for this Sunday is taken from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13, and this will also serve as the basis for the sermon this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading appointed for today is not the gospel reading that's in your bulletin if you're following along. Instead, it's the gospel of St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter, beginning at verse 1. And so I read it to you as follows. Jesus left the temple, and he was going away when his disciples came to him to point out to him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus answered them, you see all these things, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and there will be earthquakes in various places. And these are but just the beginning of the birth pains. And then they will deliver you up. They'll deliver you up to tribulation, and yes, they'll even put you to death. And you'll be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away, and many will betray one another, and they will hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. 
But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, it will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Socrates said, Who is the wealthiest? He that is content with least, for contentment is nature's wealth. Is your life characterized by serenity and satisfaction? Or do you find that you stew and fret about your present and your, your present situation and your future? Do you feel as though your life is inadequate, as though something is missing in your life, that it's deficient, something's deficient? Newsweek published an article some time ago in which it was entitled, Are You Anxious? You're Not Alone. And the gist of the article was that the middle class wage earners are exhausted and they're worried as they pay for their children's daycare, as they pay off their mortgage and credit card debt, as they pay forward for their children's education, and as they squirrel away money for their retirement. Additionally, There is the nagging sense of insecurity. Will my parents need a nursing home that will deplete any possible family inheritance that we were counting on to give us a financial stability in the future? Can we maintain the standard of living that we're accustomed to when we retire? This treadmill of worry and anxiety goes faster and faster, it seems. And the irony of it all is that Those who find themselves on it, on this treadmill, suffer from loneliness because they haven't invested their time and their love into nurturing relationships with their spouse, their children, their parents, their friends. St. Paul reveals to us the secret to contentment in our text. He says, and I quote, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yes, in these words, St. Paul informs us that I can do all things through Christ. Even being content and satisfied in all circumstances of life. Friends, contentment in life does not come by having our physical needs satisfied to our liking. Pew Research conducted a survey back in 2017 asking Americans, what gives your life meaning and satisfaction? And of the 30 topics that were studied, only four were universally associated with higher levels of satisfaction. A person's good health, a romantic partner, friends, 
and a career. Now, when one listens to this list or reads this list or hears this list and hears what the top four things are, it's quite understandable why people fret and are disgruntled with their life. I mean, who doesn't experience health-related issues at some point in their life? Maybe even as an infant, as a child, as a teenager, as an adult, and certainly as we age. I mean, COVID-19 has certainly raised anxiety and made life unsatisfying for many people in our society. Even the healthiest or the healthiest of marriages and families and friendships experience relational problems that strain the relationships leaving husbands and wives and parents and children and friends and neighbors and romantic partners feeling inadequate. And even those of us who have successful careers find reason for not being satisfied. Ross Perot, the one-time billionaire presidential hopeful, was quoted in Fortune magazine as saying, in the only way that Ross Perot can say it, guys, Just remember, if you get real lucky, if you make lots of money, if you go out and buy a lot of stuff, it's going to break. You got your biggest, fanciest mansion in the world? Well, it has air conditioning. It's got a pool. Just think of all the pumps that are going to go out. Or go to a yacht basin, any place in the world. Nobody's smiling. And I'll tell you why. Because something broke that morning. The generator's out. The microwave doesn't work. Things just don't bring happiness. Very true, isn't it? Tolstoy, the Russian philosopher and novelist, told of a story of a man who was promised that he could have as much land as he could encircle in one day. And so the man set off running to make a huge circle. And compelled by the thought of all the land that he could own one day, he kept expanding the circumference of the circle. And stride by stride, mile by mile, he dreamed of the great wealth that was becoming his. And he kept running and running throughout the day. And then finally he staggered and he dropped dead of a heart attack. Because you see, greed always kills. Oscar Wilde said, In this world there are only two tragedies. One is getting what one wants. And the other is getting it. Just this week, I was reading Ecclesiastes. It's a book worth reading, especially for today's society. But Solomon, one of the wisest men of all who ever lived, who had all kinds of wealth, said, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Yes, my friends, wealth does not buy happiness. You can have all that your hearts desire, and your heart will still desire more. Someone wisely counseled, measure wealth not by the things you have, but by the things that you have for which you would not take money. In Paul's day, Stoic philosophers 
taught that peace and contentment come from the practice of a virtuous life. Wisdom, bravery, justice, self-control. These were some of the virtues that were esteemed by the Stoics of Paul's day. Epicurean philosophers taught that satisfaction in life came through self-indulgence and sensuous pleasures. Well, the Epicurean philosophy did not really resonate with the Christians in Philippi. But many Christians in Philippi were drawn to the Stoic philosophy. After all, wisdom and bravery and justice and self-control, these are noble goals. These are even goals that resonate with our Christian faith. But personal fortitude does not result in lasting contentment. Job asks, what can bring what is pure from the impure? Or who can bring what is pure from the impure? No one. Moses observed in Genesis 8, every inclination of man's heart, it's only evil from childhood. Paul writes, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Again, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What this means is that because of our sinful nature, the sinful nature that contaminates all of us to our core, we will not find contentment. No matter how hard we try to please God, and no matter how hard we try to live a virtuous life, we will always come up short. We'll always feel dissatisfied. We will always be restless and anxious and worried. As St. Augustine reminds us, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. The secret to being content in all circumstances in life is experienced when we live in God's grace when we rest in his undeserved love and favor. That is what St. Paul writes about in our text when he says, I have learned to be content no matter the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm starving to death. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Living our life in our Father's grace, in Christ's forgiveness, in the Spirit's maturation of our faith, this is the wellspring of contentment in life's every circumstance. Trusting that our gracious God is operative in life situations, all of life situations, gives us a sense of contentment because we know we rest in the loving care of a gracious God. You see, as we focus our eyes on God, we see that God addresses our most fundamental needs. And our most fundamental needs can probably be reduced to two things. One, our need for forgiveness with Him, and also our victory over death itself, for death is man's greatest enemy. 
Young Martin Luther was a Stoic. As a Roman Catholic monk, he spent his life performing virtuous deeds. And the more virtuous deeds he did, the more distress of soul he felt. Luther found no peace or strength from his good deeds. And finally, Luther complained to his friend Staupitz, Oh, my sin, my sin, my sin! To which Staupitz gave this wise counsel. Christ is forgiveness for real sins. He is a real Savior, and you are a real sinner. God has sent His Son and delivered Him up for you. It is not enough that you believe God forgives sin in general, for the devil also believes that. You must believe that your sins, your sins, yes, your sins are forgiven for you. For you are declared forgiven by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Someone piped, too much of a good thing is wonderful. (laughs) And how true when it comes to God's forgiveness. Yes, we can relate to Luther, can we not? Oh, my sin, my sin, my sin. But we're reminded today that our sin is forgiven. It's forgiven because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came into this world and who suffered on that cross for our sins. And every single one of our sins are forgiven. And we can never have enough of God's forgiveness. For our sin is ever before us, day after day after day, making us discontent. And it's only as we live and rest in God's forgiveness through Christ that we find contentment in our relationship with the one who created us. Because we have his promise that he remembers our sins no more. Someone has said, sometimes the greatest, or sometimes the poorest man leaves the children the richest inheritance. Friends, it's not how much money we leave our children in their inheritance. It's not how much we buy our children or buy for ourselves in this day. It's not how much leisure time we enjoy while we live here on earth that's really important. That's not what makes us rich. The richest inheritance we have is given to us by God through His Son, Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins. And as we give that to ourselves and as we give that to one another, as we give that to our children and our grandchildren, our family and our friends, then we make them rich. Yes, we may not have a nickel to our name, but if we give them that treasure, then they are the richest people in the world. Living in the grace of God and Christ means that we find that our life is filled with anxious-inducing matters, but we still turn them over to the Lord. Yes, did you hear me right? We do have anxious moments that we will have until the day we die. Because we do live in a world where there's all kinds of anxious-inducing things that take place in our life. And so there's no denial of anxiety, and it's not quote-unquote, sinful to have anxiety. It's a natural reaction in many ways. But the Lord says to us through Paul, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. And so when you are anxious about things, to whom do you turn? Do you turn to the doctor, hoping that he will be able to, or she will be able to give you the solution that will take away your anxiety? Do you turn to your 
bank account, the money that you've collected, and hope that that will take away your anxiety? Do you just work a little bit harder, spend a little bit more time at work so that maybe that will take away your anxiety? No, Paul says, by everything, by prayer and petition, take your anxieties to God. Present your requests to Him. And so we do. Or hopefully we do. We take our anxieties to the Lord and we place them on Him. And as we do so, we're saying, God, these things that are causing me anxiety are really out of my control. But I know, Lord, that you are in control. And so I'm handing them over to you, and I know what kind of God I'm handing them over to. I'm handing them over to the all-powerful, the almighty God who created the heavens and the earth. I'm handing my anxieties over to you, knowing that in your Son, Jesus, my sins are forgiven. I'm, hanging my, I'm, hanging, I'm handing over my anxieties to you, knowing that you have conquered death for me and for all people. I'm handing my anxieties over to you, knowing that you are a loving, gracious God, forgiving and merciful. And as we hand these things over to the Lord, it has a way of bringing calm to our soul, our heart, our mind. God also addresses our anxiety related to death and dying itself. Psalm 35.5 says, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. If we haven't already, all of us will experience some form of suffering, some kind of dissatisfaction in life because of the fact we are aging or because we've got a sickness, maybe that we inherited. We all will suffer someday from some kind of chronic condition. We're all going to have to face the reality of dying and death itself. And yes, that is anxiety-inducing. Yes, that leads to a dissatisfaction of life. And it can be painful. It can be agonizing. And we may cry out to God, Lord, take this away from me. I can't stand it. I don't like it. I'm tired of being in the darkness. I need some light. But the Lord reminds us today that in Him we have victory. We have victory over death itself and all the suffering that leads up to death itself. That is why the psalmist says, His anger lasts only a moment, and his favor lasts, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Rejoicing comes in the morning, and that is our hope. As we look to Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, rejoicing comes in the morning. Yes, we may be in the midst of sadness and grief and pain, but rejoicing comes in the morning. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things, these are the truths that get us through those very difficult times in life. We recognize that these times in life are only momentary. Only momentary in the sense that they will come to a conclusion when we die. So for some of us, it may have been something that we've had since the moment we were conceived and born into this world. For some of us, it may be something that we've endured as time has gone on in life. For some of us, it may just be the heartbreak of having someone we love die. It might even be our own death but it will come to an end. 
and we will spend eternity, eternity with our Lord. And as we focus on this truth, God has a way of bringing calmness to our heart and our soul and our mind. He even gives us reason to find joy in the midst of some of the most difficult and trying circumstances. Even if that joy is just simply, rank, is simply rooted in Christ's resurrection and his promise of everlasting life. The result, as we focus in on our Lord and his promises to us and to his grace and his forgiveness and the promise of everlasting life, the result and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This echoes the words of the prophet Isaiah, the Lord will give strength to his people, the Lord will bless his people with peace. So many people, many people try to spend their way into contentment. Don't be one of them. This will fail. Some delude themselves into equating leisure with contentment. Please don't be one of them. This too will fail. Many people try to work for contentment. Please don't be one of them, for this too will fail. Many people will they experience with all kinds of forms of meditation and pseudo-spirituality. And Please don't be one of them, for this too will fail. Many people turn to doctors and medicine, to science, to be content. Please don't be one of them, for this too will fail. Many people indulge their sinful passions. Please don't be one of them, for this too will fail. No, true lasting contentment and satisfaction of life comes only one way. It comes as we live in God's grace. As we live in God's grace through Jesus Christ. Centering our laser-sharp our laser thoughts and petitions on our Lord's daily love, His forgiveness, and His mercy, and His promise to us of everlasting life. This, my friends, really is the secret to contentment in all circumstances of life. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.